Hey, welcome to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I am Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico, and joining me is... Scotty Hertz. Adam, I actually almost didn't make it. I was out enjoying the uh, globally warmed uh, November, so... (laughs) I want to make that sound a little less bleak than it actually is, but it's like, whoa. Nice, globally warm November. Mm Mm-hmm. French fried potatoes. Mm. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yes, I'm the sling blade of the board. That's totally correct. <laughs> there he is. <laughs> Just you can't back, do that anymore. <laughs> throwback, throwback reference to a 25-year-old movie nobody saw then. Um, except the... Um, you and me. Yes, Scotty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, open Source is a CFRU's political and current affairs discussion show. You can find us here every Thursday at 5 p.m. as we talk about latest news items from Guelph, Ontario, Canada, and around the world. And we sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians, which this week will be outgoing Ward 6 City Councilor Mark McKinnon, who's going to talk about, uh, well, I guess the whole losing his seat thing. Um, But (laughs) we also talked about more than that, you know, Mm -hmm. lessons he's learned and, uh, you know, advice for his successor, Kenny Chu, uh, coming soon to an open sources episode near you. But that's going to be at the bottom half of the hour. Before that, we're going to talk about a few news items from the last week, including the U.S. midterm elections. Fascism is looking pretty good for many victories on Tuesday night. So is there any hope? that uh, we're not watching the last days of American democracy. I don't know. That's a tough call. But an even tougher call in the first half here, uh, speaking of fascism right here at home, uh, the latest developments of the public inquiry into the use of the Emergencies Act last winter. This was been a blockbuster week, probably the biggest week of the inquiry so far, at least a uh, big uh, uh the biggest it's going to get until uh, JT testifies, in a, uh, I think, in a couple of weeks, um, and Bill Blair, too. But outside of that, actually, I'm going to go on a limb and say this was the biggest week because we've got Peter Slowly, who many think was thrown under the bus as the Ottawa chief of police uh, for the crummy um, lackluster response to the Freedom Convoy. We have also gotten this week uh, several of the uh, quote-unquote leaders of the convoy um so we had uh brigitte belton on tuesday along with chris barber and on wednesday we had none other than pat king wrapping up a day that also included uh the convoy's lawyer mr wilson and uh who else was on the it was the canadian forces guy morazzo yeah Hmm. So um, we're going to get Tamara Leach uh, sometime later in the week, too. So uh, a lot of insightful testimony uh, from some pretty key figures these last few days. Yeah, and something I guess we'll go back to slowly a minute, but I just want to say, because you mentioned the the convoy people, mm-hmm. just the whole presenting as if there's an air of legitimacy to what they did is is. I want to say difficult to watch. I can only watch the highlight reel. I know some people are probably trying to watch the whole thing, but you know, Pat King all done up as if he's going to court and it is a court of sorts. 
public opinion more than anything, but they all yeah. have charges against them, but not maybe not all of them. Don't quote me on that one. Pat King, definitely. And Chris Barber, uh, too. And Chris Barber. And I'm not sure whether that's anything he says this week will kind of change how that trial goes down. I don't, I no, honestly no, they, don't. They have immunity. Well, they don't have immunity, but it's been, it's been, they're able that, to speak freely. Yeah. That, that nothing said in the inquiry can be used in their criminal trial, I believe. Yeah. Which of course, I mean, it will probably, it's, it's almost inevitable, but he, you know, he, he sort of backpedaled on his, the, the main kickoff of the whole thing is comment about, you know, Trudeau deserves a bullet or whatever it was. I'm paraphrasing, but that's pretty much what it no, was. No, no. He said it was out of context. Yeah, well, that's just saying thing. <laughs> I thought it was interesting. It was Baker said he was an, like he declared himself as I'm just an internet troll. It's like you're you're going around admitting this that you're an internet troll. Mm-hmm. You went a little bit beyond the troll, mm-hmm. considering everything that happened. But yeah, there's just oh man, it's <laughs> it's, it's somewhat annoying. It has to happen. It's good that it's happening, but uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to hear what tomorrow Leach has to say in the meantime. But going back to slowly. That was very interesting because it revealed the cracks in everything. Mm. It slowly was pretty much the fall guy, the fall person for this, because it's easy to do that, to play the blame game. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like the blame is, I don't know if it's evenly distributed, but I mean, you have all these police forces that can't talk to each other. Mm. You have police forces by the sound of it that was revealed today which is wednesday keith wilson revealing that oh there was all kinds of leaks from all the police csis mm. rcmp opp ottawa mm-hmm. they were all giving away information to the convoy plus there was people involved with the convoy ex-service personnel ex-military i believe ex-police mm-hmm. all would know exactly what they're thinking and would all know what they're doing so in that respect they had a tactical advantage which is odd, considering if you're the police, is supposed to keep this thing out of the control. Where are these leaks coming from? I don't think we'll we'll probably never know, right? Mm-hmm. But and some people may be surprised by that, but I have noticed locally, and this isn't just just tar all police with the same brush. I've seen a couple of vehicles in our local police parking lot that have convoy related materials on them, mm. stickers, flags. Now, as to whether that is people working in the police station, it could just be people working downtown. I don't know. It's a heck of a coincidence these vehicles are right across from the police station. But no one should be too surprised that there are police and people involved in law enforcement who are sympathetic to the convoy. Should not be a surprise. It's like, oh, we can't believe this. It's like, you should totally believe it because it is so obvious, even in this town. Well, the big PPC rally in the last election um was held at the home of a former Guelph police officer. There you go. So, I mean, yeah, it's easy to draw the links, right? It's not as if there just seems to be this, Oh, I can't believe it. It's like, totally believe it. Totally believe it. It's believable. And I mean, it's also important though, that we kind of have this on the record from somebody who um, is not, uh, who represented the freedom convoy, but was not necessarily of the freedom convoy. And yeah, it's not surprising because Tom Marazzo was a Canadian forces veteran. So, um, and he, and he was brought in a lot of other veterans as well. Um, yeah, the, the slowly part is interesting. Um, the whole thing about how he kind of didn't use the, um, the PLT, which was like, it's like the police liaison team, which are, 
you know, when you see kind of police talking to protest organizers, that's kind of like your PLT is is someone who's like, well, are you going to march? Like, what's your route so that we can, you know, close the street, make sure that everyone's safe and and that kind of thing. Um, slowly, apparently didn't want to use those. The, uh, the big red flag, though, is like using Navigator, this like yes. crisis communications firm to like do like police communications during the the lockdown like two weeks of work almost two hundred thousand dollars and like navigator is like this firm that has like you know clients like right pretty much like the harper government people in the harper government use navigator gianca meshi was using navigator before he was like too soiled for even navigator to use anymore (laughs) um you know it's um it's it's kind of crazy and that, that, like the testimony was something to the effect of like he wasn't even like using navigator to um to to interact on you know the police operations it was like they were using navigator to essentially collaborate or to like force the provincial and federal governments to act it was kind of like a bullying force like look at all look at how look at all the crap the ottawa police has to shovel um, when compared to, um, you know, we're getting no help from the OPP. I, I think slowly said that too, that, you know, if there were 1500 OPP officers on the street, you would have noticed, but I mean, it's just, it's, it's insane that there definitely seems to have been, and whether that's justified or not, you know, there was uh, definitely a concern on slowly's part that he was going to, if he wasn't going to fall on the sword, somebody was going to push him on the sword. And that does seem to have happened, but that also seemed to have been his preternatural focus through much of the first couple of weeks of the convoy too. Yeah. And also probably enough time in to retire. Right? Yeah. But what's, what's becoming clear. It's, it's pretty much the circle of Spider-Man pointing at each other. It's you. <laughs> yeah. It's you. Yeah. It is. It's like this, <laughs> this loop of uh, slowly had said, well, we were not, you know, we, we're not sure if we're going to infringe on their charter rights. So we don't know if we should do anything. The RCMP declared an internal state of emergency. Hmm. RCMP, the let's call them the federal cops because that's what they are. But supposedly their presence in Ottawa isn't what it was in the past. Mm. I don't know if that's numbers down or COVID or whatever the case was, but supposedly their numbers were down as well. You've got the our provincial government saying, oh, we're going to send all kinds of people, but that didn't actually happen. Mm. And of course, we still have the ongoing fight between um, the provincial government particularly Doug Ford and the former attorney general going to, are they going to go testify? Yeah. And that, that hasn't panned it out yet. Has it Adam? I know there was some chatter today, but I don't think they, there's, there was a, there was a hearing on Tuesday. Yeah. Um, I, I, it was basically a hearing. If, if I have, I'm not a lawyer, but uh, it was a hearing to see if they should have a bigger hearing. Um, I guess so, so that's a kind of a preliminary hearing the question is like will they get that resolved in time this is only supposed to be a six week affair um, and I think this has been week three hmm. so um, maybe they'll use the notwithstanding clause and pass some legislation I don't know <laughs> that's another I mean, story I guess but yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but uh, t- the whole thing about the RCMP too I, I do wonder if that's a case of um, the RCMP who are stationed in Ottawa, like their, their, their role, it kind of isn't enforcement. Like RCMP does give protection to the prime minister and other sort of high ticket. Yeah, it's uh, more of the red chief. surge, right? right. Standing right, out in right. the uniform going, Oh, look at the beautiful Mounties, but right. Right. That's yeah. The, the, yeah. So, cause otherwise, cause you're, you're kind of over policed with OPP and Ottawa police, but yeah. Um, it, it is, it is interesting. It, like the, the other thing was slowly too, is like, apparently he doesn't, he did he depended on his executive assistant to manage his emails which 
is I guess okay if you know you know you're worried about a balancing a bunch of appointments you know if you have your executive assistant like making you know appointments for meetings and stuff but maybe the intelligence stuff you want to see that all of that stuff firsthand so this also could be just like an organizational thing like uh he's an old old school guy who just doesn't get the emails and the things and so that's why things uh you know like intelligence reports kind of fell through the cracks i do want to address quick the the some of the protesters themselves because it's funny watching barber um because he had the appearance of like a lot of these people who go to the january 6th commission in the states which we're going to go next um who you know will talk a big game until he's sworn in for like official deposition and minute taking and then all of a sudden Mm -hmm. you know he's just uh just a normal guy just has regular concerns but uh the pat troll yeah just a troll like the but the pat king testimony he he was clearly uh, relishing it. He was. I, I watched some of his on on Wednesday afternoon. He was more than a little smug during that during that yeah. testimony. Got the new shirt on. Yeah, shaved beard, shaved beard, haircut. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Maybe navigators helping him too. <laughs> or a budget navigator. Well, you know, one of the th- budget navigator. Yeah, I don't know who the budget navigator is. There's, there's lots out there, right? So. I mean, one of the fascinating things is like, you know, for everyone who said, like, well, why wouldn't the government just negotiate with them? Well, Chris Barber himself said, you know, well, there were so many of us like this was an organic thing. It just kind of happened. And all of a sudden it kind of got out of control, which like whatever, t- you know, take it with a grain of salt if you want. But then I think it was Wilson, too, who um, or maybe it was Marazzo who, who who said, you know, we were there because of, you know, COVID mandate protests whatever whatever you want to think of that and then they said it, the the convoy then acted like a beacon to bring in everybody with a beef so you, he, including you, you, the queen <laughs> including well i mean that's why romana Dadillo was there she was looking for publicity yeah. um and so like in, in that atmosphere when you're you're sitting back and you're still wondering yourself why didn't the government negotiate well that's why because even the people who are the quote-unquote organizers and there was a lot of talk like well i wasn't an organizer it was an organic thing but even the organ quote-unquote organizers were like this thing was completely unorganized so who do you negotiate with and i i find it funny that you know chris barber and others were kind of throwing the mou under the bus because it was given so much attention the memorandum of understanding it's like oh yeah no we knew it was totally unconstitutional when we were waving it around at press conferences so whatever (laughs) yeah and i did see just quickly i saw one report there that some of the intel was i don't know if you heard this Mm. it was an intel report that relied on a rex murphy column yeah almost exclusively yeah and of course, it, the tone of it was sympathetic to the convoy. It was like, oh, you know, these Marxists are coming to lay siege. Like, what are you even talking about? These people are far from Marxists. Like, it just sounded like a garbage report. So, you know, garbage in, garbage out. So all this adding up to one big I think show. Yeah, I think I think some of the National Post just needs to do Oh. What what Ryan did for Creed on the office, which is just open up a Word document <laughs> and tell Rex Murphy that he's publishing to the, the National Post. Fabulous. And, and yeah. just stop doing it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um keep Creed away from the printer ink as well. <laughs> that's right. Um speaking of monsters, um, it could be a monstrous time in the United States on Tuesday. They have their midterm election. Uh things are getting a little scary. Um 
especially if you happen to be married to the current speaker of the house, uh, Paul Pelosi was attacked oh. in his home by a hammer wielding maniac was taken to the hospital, took several hammer blows to the skull, which, uh, you know, was probably a pretty scary time for Nancy Pelosi and uh, her children and her grandchildren. Uh, definitely not a scary time for uh, Donald Trump Jr. Got a pretty good laugh out of the assault of an 83 year old man. Uh, but that this is kind of the tone of where we're at now. And, uh, you know, co- this coming Tuesday, um, too close to call in a lot of these races. And people are hoping that, uh, you know, maybe democracy lives. But um, the polls are saying uh, the fascists could win. Yeah. And sadly, just to touch on the hammer attack for a second, I was mm-hmm. wondering who was going to be the first of them to joke about it because mm-hmm. you knew it was coming. Mm-hmm. And of course, it was coquette or sorry. Of course, it was Don Jr. Uh, not not a surprise there at all. So yeah, but it, it that comment, mm-hmm. tweet, and otherwise speaks to the the almost to everything that's going on in, yeah. in the U.S. midterms, right? Yeah. Uh, in some ways, it it the yeah you you use the 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 F word and that that's fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> It's not our country. We can say what we want about it, right? Because we're, we're well, for now, safely across the border. I mm-hmm. think we're seeing uh, a bit of bleed on this this type of political um, polarization, schism. I don't even know, even know what to call it. It's, it's just a, a circus sideshow, really. Well, right? you can't even really call it a circus. I mean, Paul Pelosi's gotten a lot of attention, but there was also this guy running for... Uh, as a Democrat running for the state Senate in Pennsylvania, his name is Richard Ringer. He goes out into his backyard and somebody jumps him. Um, Thanks. You know, and there's, you know, say what you want about Paul Pelosi, but at least, you know, that has gotten a lot of attention. You know, how many people are, uh, how many of these little guys like Richard Ringer? And then on, on top of it all, you have people with, um, you know, in military gear, armed with guns, with their face covered, and you know, taking pictures of people in Arizona, dropping off their ballots at at, at you know uh, boxes. You know, yeah, because they're right. Yeah, and uh, I mean, an Arizona judge came out and said, like, no, you can't be seventy feet away. You have to move to two hundred and fifty feet away, and you know, that's fine. That will be helpful. Uh, but, but I mean, yeah, you know, it, it reminds me too of, um, these protests around abortion clinics in, in the U S where, you know, uh, I remember listening to one podcast with one of the volunteers at the abortion clinics, his job was to like escort, um, patients into the clinic, like to, to go through the mob and he would have to like cover his face and, Mm -hmm. um, like leave outside doors and like wear disguises and things so that he wouldn't have these people follow him home know where he lives and then like try and dox him or attack him or whatever so it's well it's the thing yeah it's i mean if that's not fascism i don't know what is yeah and it it has it's gone well it's gone well beyond just the policies of the republicans and policies of democrats because hearing the discussions Mm. you'd be hard-pressed to find any hard policy at least on the republican side and i'm not taking sides i'm taking sides Mm. with either of them but you know, at least Democrats come out and say, okay, we're, we're pro women's rights. We're pro this we're anti-gun. Uh, the, the Republicans, it's, you know, a good example is somebody like, uh, well, should we talk about Herschel Walker? Maybe a little bit. Uh, <laughs> what's that guy is like, I don't know what's, what's going on with Herschel Walker, 
not particularly smart, but yet they, if you, I saw again, streeters asking people, about, well, you know, he's, they'll say, well, you're going to vote Republican Democrat. It's like, well, he's Herschel Walker. Mm. So what's Herschel Walker's thing? He's a good football player, possibly um, was responsible for many girlfriends, at least one, two getting abortions, but they'll put that all out aside as long as they, and I saw a talking head and I'm not sure what she was from. I can't say specifically, but it was, a, it was a clip within a clip. And mm. the quote was, I don't care if Herschel Walker aborts baby Eagles. I want control of the Senate. Yeah. That right? was former our NRA spokeswoman, uh, Dana Loach. Oh, okay. Yeah. I did, couldn't place it, but it was sort of, it was one of those rapid fire things. I was like, that, okay. So you're not even, you might be a card carrying Republican, but this, this is just what you want. And that's, that's what America needs. Well, this is the thing, right? It's, you know, Herschel Walker isn't going to be active on Senate committees. He's not going to be chairing committees. He's not going to be doing fact finding missions. No. Um, he's not going to be, you it's know, being Herschel Walker, right? They're going to wheel him in, tell him what button to press and then wheel him out again. And I mean, this is kind of the most disturbing thing of all of this. It's just like Herschel Walker is clearly addled by CET, like all those years playing football that apparently everyone thinks it makes him eligible to be a United States Senator have clearly messed him up. And of course we won't know that until after they, they autopsy him when he dies. Cause you can't detect CET yeah. any other way, but you and know, it's sad. I mean, it's, it's absolutely like, sad. I, you know, it's not, sad. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I mean, that's what I'm getting at is that he has CET. You have Kanye West who's bipolar and clearly has mental health issues. Then you have Laura Logan, the former you know, um, 60 yep. minutes correspondent who's now like going on about how Fauci is Mangala and, and just like all the biggest conspiracy. You know, she was kicked off Fox. She went to Newsmax, was kicked off Newsmax. And now she's being in, in sheltered in like all the little right wing ecosystems, media mm -hmm. ecosystems underneath. But it's like they have absolutely no problem paying, playing upon these people who are, you know, CET, bipolar. In Lara Logan's case, it's like probably PTS. Um, but, you know, these people have like deep seated mental health issues. And then you have the people who just go along with it. People like Lindsey Graham, who goes, appears on TV next to Herschel Walker. is like, we're going to elect Herschel Walker. He's going to be the best senator you've ever seen. It's like, you, Lindsay, no, he isn't. He's you, not. Well, that's what I mean. It's like Lindsey Graham knows better. He knows yeah. better. He walked right up. He walked right back up to the line of sanity on the night of July 6th and then stepped away again when he realized that uh, sanity doesn't sell on Main Street anymore. Well, uh, I but, would say someday we're going to find out the dirt on Lindsey Graham. Somebody's got something on him, right? Oh, oh yeah. This is our hot goss Americans, American <laughs> well, stuff, right? Well, this is a th like in, in Mark Leibowitz's book, Thank You for Your Service, which I read over the summer. Um, didn't get a chance to talk about our reading over the summer because I've been so busy with election stuff. But mm -hmm. he talks about how Lindsey Graham, you know, will bend over backwards to be electable because he literally has nothing else in his life. He's a confirmed bachelor and you can take that to mean whatever you like, but like he doesn't have kids. He doesn't have grandkids. He doesn't have a life. His entire life has been Republican politics. And my, my response is like, I understand that, but whose fault is that, that Lindsey Graham has nothing in his life of being a Republican operative. That's not, that's not my problem. That's not the average American voters problem. Um, that's Lindsey Graham's problem. And he, and it'd be, it'd be one thing if he was one out of 
100 who's willing to sell his soul to hold on to power, but he's not. There are 49 other people in the Republican Party and a whole lot more that want to be a part mm. of the Senate that will sell their soul for power, like J.D. Vance, who's playing oh, yeah, JD Vance, yeah. In, in Ohio, who's playing up like, I'm just a folksy working guy from Ohio, completely funded by this right-wing lunatic billionaire, Peter Thiel. Well, I have to say, uh, before all that, I did enjoy J.D. Vance's book. But this that was before all of this. And I mean, the, the one th- everybody that you've mentioned, mm-hmm. we haven't gotten to Dr. Oz yet either. Oh. That they all have in common is Donald J. Trump still mm-hmm. around. Still this real I mean, Biden today or the other day said, Oh, this isn't really a ref this isn't a referendum. Uh, well, it sort of is. Mm-hmm. And weirdly, it's it's like a race being run between Trump and Biden, because that's how narrow the margins are that's how razor thin all this is there's particularly the senate the right 35 races mm-hmm. senate split 50 50 now and it's looking like it's leaning republican i i uh it it sounds like it is there's there's a few um seats that are toss-ups same with gubernatorial races that are just kind of mm-hmm. toss-ups it's, it's only one or two mm-hmm. so the democrats have to hold on for dear life in certain places uh, and in other words, it's in other words, sorry, in other places, it's it's a Republican solid, but you know, it's they're just clawing for everything that they can at this point, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I like mean, the- in New in is it like like in in New York, Schumer's going to win. There's lots of writings where you're right. I keep saying writing. so Canadian, <laughs> I'm so Canadian now that you just know that they're going to you know they're going to win it. Right. If it's a solid, it's fine, but that's if it's sort of kind of maybe. Mm-hmm. That's where the action is, and there's a few, there's mm-hmm. a few like that, like well, Pennsylvania with Doctor Oz, and it's it's so unfortunate seeing that I saw, but it was it, it's Fetterman right running against him, yeah, who is recovering from a stroke, yeah, and in a like Doctor Oz, it's hard to say due to editing, but it sounds like he's taking advantage of that, like making comments like along the lines of I don't even know why you're here, you know, I don't know why you're here. If you'd taken better care of yourself. Right. You wouldn't have these health problems. It's like that's just a very prickish thing. It really is. Well, I mean, it also oh, Dr. Oz is, you know, it's also doubly worse because Doctor Oz is the guy that sells pills that both make you skinny, knowing completely well that's not how weight yeah, loss works. Tell me this, because this sounds like gossip too. What's with the puppies? What's this story about? <laughs> he like testing on animals or something? Yeah, there was some animal. I don't. I don't remember all the details off the top of my head. But yeah, there was. It was animal testing at Columbia, and uh, involved uh, like euthanizing some dogs. I mean, I mean that's how drug testing works, right? Is that you test it on animals before you test it on people? But at, at the same time, you know, this is an election, and appearances matter. And if you know you have uh, a line in your Wikipedia page about euthanizing dogs, you're probably not ready for p- politics, and you're probably not ready for prime time. But yeah, well, the dogs were Democrats, so it's okay, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm surprised. I'm, I'm literally surprised they didn't use that line, but yeah, we'll, have to- <laughs> we'll have to leave it there. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to queue up our interview with Mark McKinnon, outgoing counselor for Ward 6 here in Guelph. You are listening to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio.
And that was a band called The Appetizers, number 24 on the current CFRU chart. The album is called Listen Up. And the song was... What was that? I said, listen up. Listen up. (laughs) I didn't hear you. (laughs) Ironically. (laughs) Anyway, the song was called Pressure, something I think a lot of people were just all feeling it. Oh, my goodness. That version of Pressure made you not feel the pressure so much. Yeah, it's been a pressure-filled week. Uh, Pressure-filled campaign for some people. Um, Nobody knows that better than Mark McKinnon, who... um, has the distinction of being the only incumbent from this term of city council to not win re-election. Uh, he's pretty okay with it, as you'll hear with the interview. Um, kind of uh, not apathetic, but uh, agnostic, uh, I guess is the word. Uh, you know, the, that's how the cookie crumbled, and Mark is okay with it crumbling because uh, he has another. He likes chips anyway. No. Um, <laughs> We, we, we got a chance to talk to Mark. It, it was the official last meeting of city council this week. Um, and so on Wednesday afternoon, uh, I talked to Mark about all the things he's learned doing city council and uh, his advice to the incoming Ward 6 councillor, uh, Ken Yee Chu. And we also talked about, uh, you know, his, his governing style and uh, whether or not it was all worth it. Was the eight years he spent on council all worth it, given that Ward 6 um went another way at the end we're gonna find all that out with mark mckinnon we're gonna hit play on our interviews starting right now okay mark mckinnon thank you for joining us again today yeah thanks for having me on one last time (laughs) i said i wasn't gonna cry um but (laughs) to, to start off with i mean you know going back to last monday night you know how did how did it hit you? How did it feel? Uh, were you were you shocked? Were you appalled? Were you uh, saddened? No, I think I knew going into the night that it was going to be, it, it could have gone either way uh, with Ken or, or me. Uh, I have obviously the incumbency advantage and the experience and Ken has the uh, uh, ran, quite frankly, the best campaign I've seen in municipal politics locally. So, uh, you know, with that, I thought it could go either way and it, it went in, in Ken's favor. So I certainly wasn't a surprise by any means. And then, um, you know, that that night after, you know, it was clearly the, the writing was on the wall. I decided, well, it's a good time to, you know, just go and take down all my signs. And so <laughs> drove around for six hours removing my signs. And and that gives you a lot of time just to, to think and reflect and whatnot. Uh, but I would say overall, it, it wasn't an extreme disappointment. I think there was some disappointment because, you know, at any time you want to try something and you fail, that's that's going to obviously hit you in some way. And then, of course, you know, there, there has to be a little bit of a humbling as well, being the only counselor to to not get reelected um, on that uh, for the past two terms. And so, you know, everyone else is like, well, I mean, I, I didn't get voted in again, but I got in by beating an incumbent uh, eight years ago. So that's it was right. certainly kind of like it came full circle. Yeah. And I, that's, there's, there's a couple of angles I want to take uh, from from what you're saying there. Number one is um there is kind of this fickleness in in ward six and maybe that's because there's constantly new people moving in but you know for the last several election cycles whether it's by retirement or whether it's by defeat um if two incumbents go in to that election it's been fairly usual that only one comes out in ward six yeah it's like thunderdome (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, don't exactly know why that would be the case. Uh, you know, people sometimes like change. I don't think this was like when we go back two cycles ago when, uh, you know, I first elected, there was certainly a, a feeling of change overall. There were several incumbents that got, um, that, that did not come back. And of course, the mayor changed over. And so there was this uh, feeling of we want change. And I don't think that was the feeling this time. I mean, especially given that there was only one incumbent that didn't get back in with me. So there wasn't this sweeping change that came through. But I think uh, with Ward 6 being, I don't know, maybe not as politically uh, astute or, or politically, they don't pay attention, maybe like some of the other wards, based on a low turnout, based on the demographics of the area, uh, mm. they might have been more uh, open to the concept of someone new rather than sticking with an incumbent. And you're also talking about, you know, which, which I enjoy just pure, strictly on the face of its pragmatism. You know, you know, you've lost the election, so you immediately go out and pick up all your signs. <laughs> well, it's, it's, like, it's much easier during during the night, of course, when there's no traffic around. You can just right. pull over to the side of road, pony your blinkers and pop out and get your signs. I actually had way too many signs, which is why I took six hours in the middle of the night <laughs> doing it myself. But uh, yeah, pragmatic is probably a good way to look at it. But I mean, that sort of speaks to you. And and Cam was talking about that at, um, you know, the, the, the wrap up meeting. Yes. L- last night that, you know, you, you brought a kind of cool analytical fact-based kind of directive um, in, in the way you governed. And I'm wondering, you know, maybe in an era of hyper-partisanship, if, you know, your approach just, you know, maybe didn't stick if, if that was your feeling. Well, it, it's certainly difficult to get people fired up and, and throwing all their support behind you when, you know, you're, you're for the voice of moderation and riding the center. Um, you know, that's, that's not about, it's like, oh, we, we need to, to be the most activist council or we need to be the most fiscally conservative council. I'm like, ah, we, let's, we need the most responsible council. Uh, and, and that doesn't really uh, fire up people. And of course, when it comes to, you know, let's just say, look at the past four or eight years kind of getting press time, uh, you know, speaking my piece at council during the meetings. Well, I, you know, I do all my talking to staff in advance. I do all my research in advance. So I show up at the meeting. I don't need to talk because I've done my my work in advance. And so I'm not the most outspoken counselor. It doesn't mean, you know, I, I don't have questions and it doesn't mean I, I haven't done the work, but certainly from a public facing point of view, I don't get as much press time as some other counselors that may have a tendency to talk an awful lot. Uh, and I and I don't get that press time. So certainly, I mean, am I an unknown? No, certainly I'm not an unknown, but I'm definitely not the most, uh, uh, I guess, headline grabbing counselors being someone who's for moderation, for rationality, and for keeping their mouth shut when it's not going to affect the vote. Out of curiosity, have you had a chance to talk to Ken since uh, election night? Yeah, Ken reached out to me and uh, we, we sat and had a coffee for you know about 90 minutes, I guess, had a drink and just talked about you know, some of the things navigating and, you know, what, what it means with that. I mean, obviously Ken's going to get a lot of uh, mentorship guidance from, from other member of councils, probably Dominique the most at being award six main. Uh, but I thought it was, it was good that he reached out and we, we sat down and talked and, you know, I, I'm, I'm a resource, but you know, the perspectives that I give to Ken, of course, are going to be through the lens of what I think is the correct way to, to govern and make decisions and whatnot. And so, I mean, I made sure I, I was very clear to him is like, Hey, here's my advice, but it's just my, perspective you talk to a different council you'll get very different advice right 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 um would you mind uh you know maybe not betraying any conferences comfort uh what's the word i'm looking for confidence thank you (laughs) um you know if if you wouldn't mind you know what what kind of advice did you give him 
Uh, you know, I, it was scattered amongst, it wasn't like general advice. It was like, here's the 10 things as a counselor you need to do. But it was, in general, I think it's it's understanding the portfolios and understanding your your place and your perspective with it. And then knowing how to navigate the staff counselor relationship. And so, mm. you know, back when I started, there was an information flow protocol that was established about who you talk to on staff and who you don't talk to. So you deal with upper management. And and I take a position I've always had was we are a governance board. We're not micromanagers. We're not managers. We don't get into the weeds there. We stay up on the governance level and that's how we function. And we are specifically municipal politicians. We're not provincial or federal and that's a different level of government. And so we don't need to get involved with that. And so my perspective is mainly is understand your position and then kind of stake out from there. Because, you know, mm-hmm. you could say that, oh, well, I'm, I'm going to be the social service person, or I'm going to be the infrastructure person. Well, the reality is we don't, we don't have portfolios in council. And there's, you know, you can be very interested in helping one particular aspect and not something else. And it doesn't mean that, that you have kind of a you're not in a box, you're not labeled. But I think what you need to understand is the label and, and the box you're in is how your perspective on working within the governance, working within staff, I think you really have to understand that. And of course, there's also bazillion files you have to get up on and, and quickly. Uh, you know, I mentioned to Ken that you know, there's, there's some really big decisions coming down and, and having any council come in, especially with five new councillors, they're not really really kind of starting until December. And then by March, you got to pass a budget. Right. For like a half billion dollars. Like that's an incredible amount of pressure. And it's probably not the best way to do things, but, you know, is there a better way? I, I don't know if there is one, but uh, yeah, it's an incredible amount of, of work to get up to speed on, particularly with that very first budget, given all the inflationary pressures uh, and the fact that it's also the second year of our first multi-year budget. It's, it's like drinking from a firehouse. And so, you know, just, that was just really the, the kind of advice I was giving Ken is uh, just be prepared for the work. Right. <laughs> uh, your kind of last words, your kind of last speech at council um, on Tuesday night was was interesting. And I wonder if maybe we could expand on it a bit. Your message seemed to be that um, you feel like maybe you were kind of taken the wrong way sometimes, that maybe the way you were interacting with others um kind of it, it's one way for people who know you and sort of know your tone and know your your personality but maybe when you, you are interacting with others who are don't know you as well that's kind of taken the wrong way and i wonder if there's maybe a broader message there about engagement and about how uh maybe you know you counselors are are now working one-on-one whether or not there's a need for some more understanding going forward yeah, I mean, certainly, I I know I'm low on the empathy scale in the sense of being able to understand other people's perspectives and, and the feelings of that. That's not where my strengths are. I'm much more analytical and facts based, and you know, it just drives me nuts when you know there's a a, a position before us on council, whether it's a vote or a policy, and it's so blatantly obvious that this is the answer. Here's the answer, and the other counselors don't see that, and I. And I have to sit and go, why can't you possibly understand that there's one objectively right answer? And it's because I don't, <laughs> I can't put myself in their shoes very well to empathize from what their perspective is. And, it, you know, it's one of the things that drives me crazy and it has all my life as a high analytical um, that I don't understand other people's perspective and lack of, of understanding of facts and, and obvious decisions. Um, and so when, it, when you, your question about, you know, communication, I mean, certainly that, that definitely plays 
a part of it. And I think we could all benefit from trying to understand other people's positions. Well, no, it's, it's difficult. You know, it's, it's one of the most struggling things that I have in my entire life is trying to understand other people's perspectives because yeah, I, whenever people interact with me, uh, if they interact with me in a way that is how I'd like to be interacted with, then I just assume that, yeah, you know, everyone's good on that, you know, that, that give and take and, you know, the good debate. I love debating. I really do. Uh, and, you know, you keep the personality out of it and just speak the facts and you have a bit of fun at it. And the assumption is everyone's like that. And it's been shown a couple of times that it's not that way. And it was a hard lesson, which is why that particular piece of advice or kernel of wisdom, when I read it in that book about, you know, the silver rule versus the golden rule. Right. And it just opened my my eyes, it made me think, wow, I wish that it could have been put in that way to me <laughs> earlier that don't treat people as you want to be treated, but treat people as they want to be treated. And if you do that, then you're going to have a better working relationship with everyone, whether it's on a, on a co-worker level or on a constituent level that, you know, often a constituent will come forward with an issue. And I'm thinking, this is so not an issue. Like, why right. are you even coming with this? It is completely unimportant. This is crazy that you're bringing this to me. And yet, it's important enough for them that they reached out. And I think sometimes understanding how they'd want to be treated would be a skill we could all benefit from. And that's something that, you know, I, hey, put it one more thing on the list of self-improvement <laughs> stuff that I'm going to be trying to work on. <laughs> And, but you know, you one of the, your uh, one of your talents is uh, you know as as a game publisher, and and you're you're really into like tabletop gaming and and mm -hmm. and and that world, which are uniquely dependent on the rules. Like these are the rules of the game, and even though you know governance comes with a set of rules you're supposed to follow, emotion plays a big part of it too. It, it does. I mean, there's obviously we have our code of conduct and the rules we play by, but there's a lot of flexibility within that rule, those rules. And, uh, you know, you, you can't say you are a liar, counselor X, like you can't be like insulting us. You were so stupid. But, you know, you can rib people in certain ways and, and you can have your language in a certain way that, you know, it's it's a way I like being a little more edgy with uh, how I interact with people. And I, I guess, you know, you could say take as good as you give or good as give as good as you take. I mean, I, right, right, I right. generally like that kind of more edgy interactions, but I mean, obviously not everyone does. I got called on <laughs> it uh, in the past from a, a meme that I, I remember I put up. It was probably my second or third year on council um, with uh, Arrow from the television series who, you know, was a superhero of the city and he was firing an arrow at someone and the meme, uh, the the gif said, you know, you have failed this city as because that was his tagline. <laughs> yeah. yep. So I thought it was the terrible, terrible decision of the majority of councils made this certain call. And so I put up this meme. I didn't tag anybody. And I just said, you have failed this city. And, you know, had that meme is, and some of the councillors didn't like that I posted that. And I thought it was hilarious because yeah, I like Arrow and this is a great thing. And it was totally appropriate and matched well, but that's my type of humor. And I guess right. it's not everyone's type of humor. Right, right, right. Let's do a little bit of nostalgia. Uh in your eight years, what's your proudest moment as a counselor? Uh, that's a good question. I actually think it's probably when we brought in the 1% infrastructure levy on that very first vote. Uh, and that one was something I was working for for a while. I mean, the very first, you know, one of the very first budgets that came down had this you know, recommendation from staff for asset management. And, you know, it wasn't really sold very well and I was brand new and I didn't understand it. And so I just kind of, you know, brushed it off and it didn't go through on that first budget vote. And then I went to FCM 
uh, Federation Canadian Municipalities, uh, that conference by myself for the very first time. It was no one else is there. It was just me going to it. And I went to this asset management workshop that I did not know what it was. And at the end of an hour and a half, I came out saying, oh my gosh, asset management is the holy grail. This is the most amazing stuff. We have to get this in Guelph. Why don't we have this? And so from then on, it became something that I wanted to champion because even knowing going into the election uh, the very first time that, you know, that we had a report that said we were $25 million every year shortfall on a deficit of infrastructure funding. And so whenever we finally got dedicated 1% infrastructure funding, that to me was probably the proudest moment because it, it was a once again, it was all about the rationality and the obvious decision is if you have $2 billion worth of assets and roads and bridges and buildings uh, and pipes that you got to put some money away to take care of it. When you own a house, at some point you have to replace your roof. When you have a car, at some points you have to you know, fix the engine or do an oil change. And if you don't do the maintenance work as you go, it's going to fall apart. And that's what I think was missing. So when we got that in, you know, it's it's a pretty weird thing to think my my proudest moment is charging the taxpayers more money, <laughs> but it was it was responsible, and it doesn't matter if it was popular; it was the right decision. I'll always choose the right decision over the popular decision. How about the biggest piece of unfinished business that um, you, you're disappointed that you won't be able to see to fruition? Well, obviously, the South End Community Center. That's the big one. Uh, that. You know, yes, for eight years we fought. I mean, I remember going to the meetings about the Seth and Community Center before I was a counselor, uh, you know, knowing I was interested in council, but that was, you know, more than eight years ago. And to, to come so close, to have the budget, to have the vote, to get everything approved, $80 million, that I felt like we won. I, I, you know, all that work, I got council to agree and we pushed it forward. And then the quotes came in at 120 million. And at that point, we had to step back and say, oh, we can't just proceed with 120. Let's see what we have to do. And we're in the process of doing that right now with a, a new RFP, hiring construction manager. So it's a new approach, but I'm not going to be on council to, you know, whatever. Maybe there's another vote. Maybe there's no more vote. Maybe it'll just be administration and staff informing council the direction because we did approve a budget. But I have a feeling it's going to require more than 80 million. What 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 mm -hmm. it'll be, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, somewhat of a disappointment that I'm in, you know, spent eight years and I won't be able to leave saying that, yeah, we got it built. I could say we got it approved, <laughs> but but then inflation and real world came in and so that took that away. So that was probably my my biggest thing. And that and you know. The second thing is, is undoubtedly the results of the uh, truly affordable bus pass pilot that, you know, we got it in for one year. It's still in the, in the one year pilot. I have a feeling it's going to be very successful, but I haven't seen the results of that. I haven't seen the staff report. And so uh, ensuring that if it is successful uh, in whatever metric that staff and council term is success, that it will then move, migrate from a pilot to an actual project. And, you know, I'm kind of sad that I won't get to see that either. Is that something like maybe you are, are interested in from an advocacy point of view that you could, you know, come to council and delegate and say, hey, this was a success. And yeah, I, I, I could certainly. But I have a feeling, again, the way I think <laughs> is if the data speaks for itself, right. then it doesn't need a single delegate if the data is obvious. Now, if, it, if data is showing it's not successful, then there might be a role to say, hey, Although it's not successful, we should still do it because there's other reasons to do it. And that would be a delegation uh, reason to delegate. But if the, the data is very clear that this is a successful pilot, then to me, I'm just going to assume that 12 councillors plus the mayor 
have the rationality to say, well, let's turn it into a full program then. Uh, maybe that's a you know, false decision and maybe you have to consider that when it actually comes to potentially a vote on that. But to me, it's it's if the results are positive, then yeah, we need to help the people at the lowest end of the income scale. And that was something that I was really happy that we could push through to have one of the cheapest bus passes in all of North America. Um, it's it's not free, but at $4 a month, I mean, it's it's virtually free. Right, right, right. Um, I asked this of June last week, so I'll ask you too. What was your best day as a counselor and what was your worst day as a counselor? Wow, that's a, that's a really big question. Um, <laughs> best best day as a counselor. Um, you know, I'd, I'd again have to probably go back to that 1% infrastructure levy vote. It's, it's kind of odd, but that was probably <laughs> like, it, it was just a, I felt like it was a success. I mean, a lot of times on council, when there's votes, I, I'm in the minority on a lot of things. It's not that I'm a contrarian counselor. It's just, I don't always agree and, and align with the rest of the council. And I, you know, take a centrist, moderate approach and, and a, a rational approach. And so sometimes emotion will win the vote. And I think it should have been emotion, uh, logic rather than emotion. So I'm, I'm in the negative. And to have that come through, I just felt a, a validation of my ability to, to work and, and get that pushed through. Probably the, the biggest um, uh, de- or, or disadvantage, the thing that felt the worst on was the six, seven vote to change the budget for the library to align with the DC funded study. And so, uh, yes, we, we had, you know, a, an initial recommendation for the $62 million, 88,000 square foot library. But I think we had very compelling um, uh, evidence from our, our finance staff that according to the DC funded study, the DC to maintain the level of service, not to decrease it, but not to increase it either, but to maintain it, we needed to have roughly in that 43 to $50 million budget. And so to put through a modification to have what I thought was a right size library that maintained the service and to, to have that push through and lose on a six, seven vote. Um, I thought in the result of that, of course, was now a 0.39% tax levy for 21 years uh, to, to increase the library service more than any other service that we have in the entire city. So police didn't get as big of a bump, um, parks, rec, nothing got as big of a bump as we decided in that one vote to have the library that well went well beyond the DC funded study and into a service expansion. And we never talked about the service expansion. We never talked mm-hmm. about that. All we did was talk about the building, but the service expansion was an aspect that logically we should have been discussing. And that was people weren't willing to discuss that uh, as part of the equation. And so that was incredibly disappointing because it was one of those situations where I thought, yeah, we're going to have a great library at 62 million or whatever, you know, it, it was going to be great, but it wasn't the right decision. It was mm-hmm. an emotional decision. And that was frustrating because I, I couldn't get, and I couldn't convince it. My sales skills were not enough to sell counsel on the right decision. <laughs> These are such wonkish answers and I love it. Um maybe what's the what's the biggest misconception about being a city councilor that people have that that you've encountered in your career? Without a doubt is that we can make cha- like we can actually do things independently. Um 
like someone will call me up and say, oh, here's a problem. Can you get them to do this? I'm like, no, I can't. Uh, I can I can connect you to the staff. I can make, I could say, hey, here's a, a, a particular resident that here's an issue, but I, I can't direct any staff to do anything. It, it, like I have no power as a counselor. And that extends to the mayor. The mayor has no power to, to, to direct staff either. We only direct staff through bylaw and as a collective of 13 votes. Uh, of which you need at least seven. And so there are so many times I think people expect their politicians to have more independent authority than we do. And I fully blame US media because mm. what they have in the States is very different where the, the mayor will hire the police chief and fire them and the mayor will direct this and that. People I know think that that Cam has that power as well, and, and he doesn't. But as counselors, they expect that we have power. I've had someone that says, oh, you, you need to get rid of this parking ticket for me. You need to get rid of this this fine for me. Like, I can't. Like, literally, I cannot. I can't tell anyone to do it. I can't do it myself. But I also can't direct anyone. The best I can do is connect you to a staff, and they make decisions based on the policy we set. Staff makes the decision whether or not they can you know, eliminate that fine or make that change in your neighborhood, not me. Uh, so yeah, I just wish everyone kind of understood that independently, we are policymakers, we are not activists, we, we are not we are not managers. That's right. And maybe to wrap up, uh, was it all worth it? Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Um, yeah, certainly. It, you know, it, it was full of frustration. There's no doubt. Uh, nonstop head banging against the wall uh, on so many issues. But what I, I feel like looking back on eight years, I made a difference. And it's not always ways that people can go, oh, yeah, look, this is what Mark did and point to it. But I can definitely say that I contributed to the positive conversations on how to be a more responsible and reasonable city. And I think there's a reason now we, if everyone to look at what's going on in Guelph and we're at the top or in the top 10 of so many lists nationwide about best place to live, best place to start a business, best place to buy real estate. And all of this, I think is because the responsible decision that council made. And I might not have voted in the majority on every single vote, but I think the voice that I had of a, um, a rational, analytical, business-minded, moderate, centrist voice, uh, I th on, think on council, I think that made a difference. And so, yeah, I feel, I feel really good that it was 100% worth it, that I contributed positively. And going forward, I think that, uh, that, that my legacy will continue as minor as it is. <laughs> Well, we appreciate that. And we appreciate all the times you've come on open sources to chat and and uh, all the stuff you have done for the city and your Mr. Spock level of clarity and coolness on council. Uh, we'll, we will see how the new class does. But for now, Mark McKinnon, thank you for all your appearances on open sources. It's been appreciated. Thanks for all the work you do, Adam. And once again, that was outgoing Ward 6 Councillor Mark McKinnon. Uh, he will be missed, even though he's not technically dying. He's just uh, going back to the private sector and uh, moving on with his life. But he he will be missed in terms of being like a regular guest on on our show. Sometimes people reappear eventually, right? Well, th this is true. Um, never maybe, say never. I mean, he could always, maybe he could do Android's Dungeon because he is, as we were talking about, he's a gaming hmm. guy. So that's that. I should have mentioned. I should have brought that up. That could be an opportunity, a future opportunity for Mark McKinnon, Androids Dungeon, uh, which is also here on CFRU. Could become a volunteer and host a show. That's true. Just not this one. Just not this one. This one's occupied. Um, stay connected to us at our website, opensourcesguelph.com. 
You can find us on Facebook at Open Sources Newswire, and we're on Twitter at OS underscore Guelph. If you would like to listen to our show again, you can download it from the website every Monday at the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean or through your favorite podcast app. At Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify, you can find me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, or you can check out my news and politics site at GuelphPolitico.ca. And I'm Scotty Hertz on Facebook, Scotty Hertz on Twitter. I'm also now on Mastodon, but I have no idea what's going on there. (laughs) Uh, Stay tuned for, if you're on the FM, stay tuned for Turtle Island Underground coming up at 6 o'clock. Now everyone's hitting the App Store trying to find Mastodon. They missed something. (laughs) It was easy to set up, but... Oh, I'm sure it was. Stay tuned for more great programming here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We shall return next Tuesday, next Thursday at 5 p.m. for more open sources. And we will see you then. Yeah.